Hey everyone, Evan here, co-host of Locked On Cavs, your favorite co-host of Locked On Cavs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network with part two of a Locked On Cavs, Locked On Knicks crossover where I'm joined by Locked On Knicks co-host Alex Wolf, and we have a howling good time, get it, because of Wolf, talking about the Cavs on offense, the Knicks on defense, and maybe some of the X factors and what take place in this series. Hear about this and more as we get into it on today's Locked On Cavs, Locked On Knicks crossover. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. It's crossover time, second part of this Locked On Knicks, Locked On Cavs crossover. Alex Wolf here from Locked On Knicks, Evan Damarell from Locked On Cavs. Evan, how you feeling, buddy? We're uh, we're we've had like we're having like the longest week ever waiting for the series to start, where we just have to sit and watch the play in, play out, and then uh-huh. just kind of sit on our hands until these two teams start duking it out on Saturday. Sitting on your hands is a good way to put it. I have been kind of just like sitting here twiddling my thumbs, waiting for them to release the rest of the schedule for the series. I know we're kind of at the uh, behest of the playing tournament still, but it's just I'm ready to get this going. I feel like you could say the same about the Knicks and the Cavs, too. Like, I'm ready to experience playoff basketball uh, for the first time hosting Locked on Cavs and at least for Cleveland for the first time in five years. It's going to be fun, man. But like, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm looking to experience uh, hopefully more competitive playoff basketball than the last time <laughs> since I've been unlocked on Knicks. So, you know, this looks like it's going to be a pretty, pretty crazy series. Uh, I think that mm-hmm. these teams, obviously, there's all of the the intersection as far as Donovan Mitchell and stuff like that. But I think they had some really interesting regular season matchups and like on yeah. paper and in practice, they match up really interestingly. Um, obviously Gavin and, and Chris took on the, uh, the Cavs offense and, or I'm sorry, the Cavs defense and the Knicks offense. We're doing the opposite. Uh, you're going to make the case for the Cavs offense. I'm going to attempt to make the case for the Knicks defense, which weirdly is sort of not their calling card this year. Uh, 19th in defensive rating this year at 114.2. That's a stat that they have the last two years under Tibbs sort of paced the league in mostly like, I mean, they, the first year under Tibbs, they were top, top five, they were the top team in many metrics that you looked Mm -hmm. at defensively last year, post all-star break. uh, Once they sort of banished Kemba Walker uh, forever, they were a top five defense again Mm -hmm. uh, for much of last year. And then this year, not as much, uh, but certainly a much better offense. So I'm kind of curious where you uh, what's your what's just your perspective from the Cavs as far as like if you're looking at the Knicks, what are you thinking about like this matchup for the Cavs offensively against the Knicks defense? I think there's a lot in play here, obviously. Is Julius Randle available or not? Because the Knicks are and this is no disrespect to Randle, of course, but they are a lot different schematically or just like how they function when Obi Toppin is playing at the four versus Randle playing at the and just at least least the most recent matchup just because New York is able to kind of run on offense a little bit and they do a lot more things like that. And I think they're able to gas the Cavs and kind of force Cleveland to maybe play with a little bit of pace because 
that's just something the Cavs are trying to become comfortable with, but they're just not fully acclimated to because they're one of, if not the slowest teams in terms of pace in the NBA. It makes a lot of sense if you pay, play seven, two seven-footers and operate a lot of your offense in the pick and roll in the half court. And just for me with like New York and how they impact things defensively, it's interesting, as you noted, that like it's not symbolic of a Tom Thibodeau coach team, but... New York has a lot of young guards. They have a lot of young guns, a lot of young legs. I think there's going to be growing pains no matter what under a Tom Thibodeau defense. And also just like maybe adding Jalen Brunson to the fold is just still a work in progress. And we were talking about this before we recorded it. Like Brunson's trying on defense at least. But the optics for me defensively just looking at New York is does Randall play? Because like that obviously creates a huge change in how the Knicks function on both ends of the floor. But I just think like with topping out there versus Randall, or maybe the Knicks maybe found a little bit of something that they can run with here too, that they can make the Cavs uncomfortable in the fact that like, okay, we're going to just keep running and moving and moving and moving the ball in Cleveland. We dare you to keep pace with us because you have two seven footers on the floor and you do not have the legs coming off the bench to kind of supplant some of the speed and movement that New York likes to play with. And uh, that's going to be something I watch. And I wonder if just like, again, Thibodeau has a lot of time to prepare for this team uh, defensively. And like he can hone in on just some of the offensive pressure points he could hit to then even dial up the intensity even further on defense and maybe play past just what this defensive rating is uh, at the end of the regular season. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Like it's just today's NBA, right? That like you mm-hmm. were trying to have discussion about like how something would work on defense and yet transition offense is kind of like like what you can do to just affect the pace of the game has so yeah. much to do with what you can do as far as defending the other team. because. I do think if they have top and they can potentially make the Cavs kind of uncomfortable and get them in positions where they're trying to keep up. And if that's the case, then that's where mistakes are made. Um, and, and that could be an opportunity for the Knicks to take advantage there, because if Brunson is good at one thing on defense, like, and, and a lot of the guys on the Knicks are quite good at this. It's playing passing lanes. Like I think they're very good at generating turnovers and then starting transition that way. Uh, so if the Cavs find themselves feeling rushed, I wonder if that's going to come into play at all. Uh, one thing that I was looking at, I was kind of surprised to see this uh, when I was looking for a certain stat. I figured you ever like go to look for a stat and you think like, I've got a great idea of what I'm about to find. And it's going to support exactly what my brain says. And then you look mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, wait, no, that's not the case at all. Yeah, and uh, I went <laughs> seeing New York higher than Cleveland in offensive rating, maybe raise an eyebrow. Then I did a deeper dive this afternoon, like reading up on it. I'm like, hey, it makes sense with context. But like, again, like just Thibodeau coach teams, defense first, maybe offense second or third at this point. But it's kind of the inverse this season. And it's it, it sort of makes my eyebrows raise still looking at the Knicks that high in the offensive standings, too. What I went to look for, though, was to look for uh, isolation statistics, because I figured you know, I'm thinking on the surface, I'm like, you know, I, I've watched marginally more Cavs basketball than just when they played the Knicks this year, but mostly just when they played the Knicks. And my overall impression of like a Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell team would be like, oh, I'm probably going to look in the stats and see like these guys ISO a ton. Yeah. And not really the case, like the Cavs quite a bit lower than the Knicks in that category. Certainly the Knicks are Gavin and I have talked about this on our show, but like one of the the most ISO heavy teams in the NBA. And actually, to pretty great effect. Uh, but the Cavs, 6.5% of their possessions are ISOs uh, per NBA stats. That's only 16th in the league. So they're bottom half of the league as far as that. They're 14th in the NBA in ISO points per possession at 0.92, which 
which actually matches up really interestingly with the Knicks and where they rank in ISO points per possession allowed at 0.93. So they're almost an even match there uh, as far as points per possession. I'm kind of curious what you think. Like, I think the Cavs are going to have to maybe rely on that a little more. I think we always see in the playoffs that ISO becomes the bread and butter down the stretch of a playoff game because it just turns into a point where it's like both teams are as locked in as they're ever going to be on defense. There's no more coasting. There's no more regular season mode. Like these guys are locked in. They're going to get this stop if they can. And it just kind of comes down to like, can one guy beat another guy off the dribble? And obviously Garland and Mitchell have that in their bag. And we've seen like, especially with Mitchell, depending on the season, like mixed results, you know, like some years he's been, absolute dynamite other years like last year not quite as good and Jalen Brunson obviously for a different team had quite a series against the Jazz just the last year when Mitchell was there uh, where do you stand as far as like what you think about the the Cavs being able to attack the Knicks and th- the fact that like if they have Jalen Brunson off the floor for example they could potentially for times throw like Emmanuel quickly and Quentin Grimes at those two guys who are pretty great point of attack defenders and could potentially kind of throw a little bit of a wrench into things. It's not just those two. It's, I mean, I know RJ Barrett's not perfect for the Knicks, but like he's very good in terms of just perimeter defense. And I think he's very comfortable in making one of Mitchell or Garland uncomfortable too. And it's interesting, you note those two statistics side by side with one another, because when you mentioned Cleveland, not being like a top, half of the league or even a top third team in terms of isolation like it is surprising when you contextualize it just considering they do have Darius Garland who thrives with the ball in his hands Donovan Mitchell who also thrives with the ball in his hands um Karis LeVert who's kind of become this malleable six man for them and is also thrives mostly with the ball in his hands like the Cavs have kind of found a way to make these odd fitting parts work and to your point maybe New York kind of dares Cleveland into these one-on-one matchups or Maybe they say like, oh, maybe we have an exploit against Jalen Brunson, or they think they can maybe test Emmanuel click Emmanuel quickly or RJ Barrett or just anybody on New York's roster that they're willing to throw at them, or they try to force Obi Toppin into isolation in a pick and roll or something like that, or just kind of exploit some of Toppin's flaws as a defender as well. And that could be a way to do it. And I think you hit the nail on the head a little bit. Donovan Mitchell is a lot of an X factor, like uh, the Cavs uh, fans especially just have a good perspective on this with like Mitchell scoring 71 points and more more often than not being the guy who bails them out in a lot of games on offense and maybe he hits another gear, maybe this Cavs team as a whole hit another lever or just another gear in general just because they're playing at a very high level, they're top or they're number two in the league in terms of just overall net rating, seventh offensive rating, first and defensive rating and they maybe they do hit another gear and they kind of play above that but the isolation statistic is fascinating i think it's credit to the Cavs trying to figure out how to make some of these just flaws function together and maybe now they kind of i don't want to say fall back on bad habits or something like that but they maybe they find like they dig a little bit deeper into their bag and say like okay darius you functioned really well in isolation when you were just the offense last year for us or donovan hey we're gonna run a couple of set plays or just maybe these runs and spread pick and roll stuff that you found a ton of success with with the Jazz, or heck, maybe even Karis LeVert, like you can fiend off the fact or just take advantage of the fact that like Darius and Donovan are commanding so much uh, defensive attention from anybody the Knicks are throwing at them. Like the, there's ways that maybe they hit the pressure points. It's just, are the Cavs comfortable enough with being uncomfortable at this point? Um, just figuring out like 
a new offensive wrinkle on the fly when it just hasn't been something they've leaned too heavily on all throughout the regular season. Yeah, it's it'll be something to watch. I, I'm so curious to see which Donovan Mitchell is going to show up because it's mm-hmm. it really if you literally like just look at his playoff performance statistics, like it's so night and day year to year. Like so one year it'll be, and I mean obviously the bubble year. I think we've all kind of learned to sort of put an asterisk next to, mm-hmm. but you know the the year after that, you know in in 20 to 21, I mean he had a pretty great playoffs, and then last year just absolutely abysmal. It'll be interesting to see if perhaps having another guy alongside him in Garland and another guy in Levert that he can rely on yeah. to sort of create more distraction for the defense. Maybe he'll find his best self again. I'm actually really curious about uh, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, though. So I want to talk about them in just a second, because I think they could be sort of a key here. But uh, I do just want to remind everybody real quick that today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. And for a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure that every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. I just took advantage myself recently. I had a hubcap go flying off my <laughs> my Toyota Prius while I was driving to work. And instead of replacing the hubcap, I actually discovered there's some beautiful rims under there. So I got little little uh, pieces to go in the center of the rim, like just little caps to go in there. And it's going to look great. And I used eBay Motors to make sure I could find a part that would fit my car. Uh, after all, it's easy to, easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right fit. And the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, Evan, we're back. And mm-hmm. I want to I wanna talk about uh, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. So, okay. you know, we've talked about the, the big guys, obviously, and, and Mitchell and Garland. Uh, but I think the big key to exploiting the Knicks this year and any year under Tibbs has been stretching the floor. Like if you can, if you can draw Mitchell Robinson and and Isaiah Hardenstein, to be fair, who's actually been quite good off the bench for the Knicks this year. If you could draw them out of the paint, Tibbs always wants to have them playing drop. He wants them in the paint at all times. He, you know, on a pick and roll, he does not want them cheating all the way up to the perimeter, which has its own challenges against a guy like a, like a Mitchell or Garland. But it, the big thing, too, is having a five or a four that can draw him out of the paint has done wonders for some teams against the Knicks this year. And Mitchell Robinson, increasingly over the years, he used to be a little more lithe, but he used to get more beat up on the boards and stuff. Now has packed on a good amount of muscle and is more of like a large NBA center at this point, which, of course, just restricts his ability to, to mm-hmm. literally fly to the perimeter like he used to. Uh, to try to block like a three-pointer or whatever, which is fine because he's like one of the best rebounders in the NBA now and everything else. But that's been sort of a consistent way to to beat the Knicks. How confident are you in Allen and Mobley to be able to sort of exploit something in the Knicks in that way? Or do you think that those two are just good enough on the inside to to take advantage of Randall and, and Robinson in that way? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's another really good question just because... Jared Allen, to his credit, uh, practices a ton of three-pointers, but 
he is not a three-point shooting big man. And you had noted, like, the under Tibbs, the uh, Knicks, especially with Mitchell Robinson, play a lot of drop coverage, too. The Cavs, to an extent, do as well with Jared Allen. Like, they expect him just to protect the paint. They don't really want him playing too far up or defending guys on the perimeter. But if he's asked to do it, like, I, I, I don't want to say he's fully comfortable doing it at times, but... He finds ways to make it function and make it work. But like Evan Mobley is just a bit of a wild card here because he is attempting three pointers. He's not making them at a, like a super reliable clip, but he's trying them at least. And I think he's trying to provide that spacing aspect for the Cavs just because that is one of the biggest flaws of this Cavs team. Like I, I know organically adding Donovan Mitchell is going to add you 10 plus three point attempts per night with. A healthy amount of them going in as well and like you know having Darius Garland and Karis LeVert and Jetty Osmond when he's on a good night as well helps too and maybe maybe the factor of Danny Green being there helps a little bit too but the Cavs don't have a wealth or an overabundance of three-point shooting and I think if you're in New York you can kind of exploit that mismatch a lot just because we had we talked about Emmanuel quickly, we talked about RJ Barrett, we talked about even Jalen Brunson, who taught tries on defense, and he more so just has active hands, which is a huge underrated skill um, that a lot of players wish they had. Um, and I think that's just kind of like the way you can hit some pressure points and maybe more so just focus your defensive pressure on uh, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, and even Karis LeVert or Ricky Rubio, who's also not a shooter, but will have the ball, who needs the ball in his hands to function just because he's just not fully comfortable as an off-ball player, um, to kind of stymie Cleveland offensively and just kind of work through the motions a little bit to neutralize the impact of Jared Allen. And I, maybe Mobley not so much, but like Allen is just so reliant on guards getting the ball in his hands whether it's in the pick and roll or it's maybe in post-up situations or just just lobs in the fast break in general like the Cavs usually more often than not try to run a pick and roll or some type of lob to one of their bigs to start the game just to kind of get the momentum going and the way J.B. Bickerstaff functions on offense at for most of the season and just in general is I would rather attack the paint than shoot a bunch of three-pointers because as Bickerstaff puts it the NBA or just analytics in general has fetishized the three-pointer which kind of makes me roll my eyes just because three is worth worth more than worth more than two and if you want to play two seven-footers you need spacing but whatever um so there's ways Cleveland's could exploit this I think I do wonder if maybe going small at times functions a lot better just because they don't have a ton of big depth either just behind Mobley now like sure there's Robin Lopez uh Mobley's older brother Isaiah Mobley's not going to be eligible because he's on a two-way contract ditto for Mama Didi Akite so outside of Lopez there's no big depth on Cleveland's roster and maybe if you see that scenario I'm kind of laying out here like oh Allen's kind of being mitigated on offense and he's just giving you a lot of boards he's giving you like solid paint defense but like you need more of that offensive bump Maybe you turn to Evan Mobley, who could give you some of that stretchiness, but he's just such a freak of nature on defense, and he's able to do so much and so many little things on offense that you go smaller and you run lineups of, like, Garland, Mitchell, Rubio, and then, like, shoot, you play, like, Karis LeVert at the four, or you play Dean Wade, who I haven't even mentioned. is kind of struggling to find a shooting touch, but is a stretcher four, and is kind of viewed as the heir apparent to Kevin Love before his offense just fell off a cliff. Uh, could be an option there, too. It's just... Cleveland not really having a ton of three-point shooting could bite them in the butt a little bit, especially when the Knicks are going to be tactically prepared for what the Cavs can throw at them. And just you got to see how the Cavs re respond to that punch with their own counterpunch at the end of the day. And I'm, I'm curious to see just how this is approached because 
when you point this out, like the 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 paint matchup and the big guys, like there's ways for them to be impactful, but if the guards are just being stymied like they are, like it's really hard to kind of see how they function. Yeah, it's it's so funny that this like matchup has just fit like it's almost like Jared Allen versus Mitchell Robinson is like written in the stars or something. Like mm-hmm. there used to be all these arguments between Knicks and Nets fans when both teams were really bad about like, well, no, Mitchell Robinson is better. No, Jared Allen is better. And like just when you think you've left that behind now, we're going to have a whole series to figure out who's better between Life Jared Allen and away. Mitchell Robinson in a in a high stakes series uh, where they're both going to be relied on to do very similar things like as they have their whole career but especially with how their teams are coached like Allen is a lob threat and he's expected to d up the paint and get lots of rebounds mm-hmm. and that is exactly what Mitchell Robinson does too uh yep. and he's Mitch is also one of the most dominant offensive rebounders in the league too so I'm, I'm really curious to see Actually, we're I, was, sort of, I, I, I want to pick your brain on the yeah. rebounding aspect for sure just offensive versus defensive rebounding because Josh Hart could be a bit of a factor here well, why don't we uh, take our, our final break and then you can sure. pick my brain about Josh Hart because I love him or just so much. Any anyone else on the next roster, too. But yeah, uh, today's episode or this crossover between Locked On Cavs and Locked On Knicks is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the Locked On Podcast Network. Folks, the NBA playoffs are almost here and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because that's because, rather, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything after you download, from the money line to points scored and even three-pointers drained. You can even just do so much with FanDuel, and you can just just bet on parlays even right now. Like there's, You can bet on the Nick game or the Cavs game where you can bet on points scored for Donovan Mitchell or rebounds grabbed by either Jared Allen or Mitchell Robinson like there's a lot you could do with this and FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for chances at bigger payouts with single game parlays as well so don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com forward slash locked on that's FanDuel.com forward slash locked on to learn more make every moment more FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the nba and again like i said the locked on podcast network all right and we are back to finish our discussion here well that was uh that was a heck of a cliffhanger i would love to hear what you want to know about josh hart because i love talking about josh hart there's not been maybe a single player more impactful on the Knicks this year there I don't have their winning percentage with him in front of me mm-hmm. at this particular moment but I would not be surprised if it's about 60 percent or higher uh he was such a huge huge deal for them at the trade deadline so hit me with it is so at the top is he just like a culture impact guy for the Knicks or is it just like his style of play and the culture stuff too so this might be this might be uh interfering a bit with Gavin and Chris's episode but yeah uh the three-point shooting has been nonsensically good for him since he came to the Knicks. And he's not necessarily shooting a ton of them, but he's, I don't know what he finally ended on at the end of the season, but he was shooting basically like 50% from three from the time that he got to the Knicks, which is not super congruent with what he did certainly this year overall, but what he does for his career even. Um, But I think he's much more than just a culture guy. Like nice thing with him is that, He's kind of impacting things on both ends, but like he pushes pace a ton, which is amazing. He's given them like a 
a tertiary or even what do you what do you call it when it's the fourth ball handler like a fourth guy on the floor yeah. that can that can get the ball uh quadriary whatever you yeah. <laughs> a fourth guy on the floor potentially that can handle yeah. the ball if you have like a lineup out there of like Brunson quickly Hart Randall and like Robinson you know he's another guy that can handle the ball start sets you know allow Brunson and quickly to sort of do their thing on offense in that way but defensively he sort of just fit perfectly right into the culture right like he is just a ball hounding dude he's a pretty good one-on-one defender like I think he'll he'll probably draw Mitchell or Garland a decent amount uh or I would not be surprised if considering they both come off the bench uh if he takes a lot of Levert and gets tasked with that assignment quite a bit uh but he's really good like just defending at the point of attack and defending ISO possessions and also just has active hands, wants to start fast breaks like desperately. It's like his favorite thing in the whole world is to start a fast break. So whether that comes from, uh, you know, getting in the passing lane and, you know, getting something going that way or getting a defensive rebound, which he mm-hmm. just has like, that's probably the biggest swing thing that he has. That's like that differentiates him from being just like a guy that hustles to a guy that has like an not just good, but like elite, like hundredth percentile NBA skill for his position, uh, which as like a wing, even at only like six foot four or whatever he's listed at, like he just has this crazy sense for where rebounds are coming. That's what and, I was going to ask is, yeah, like, it, he, he it, the Cavs players were ta- asked about it. I think it was Mitchell, uh, Lamar Stevens, even Danny Green. They're like. He just has that edge to him where, like, he just does not quit on possessions. And, like, you have to tip your cap to it sometimes, but he's so frustrating to have to play against. Yeah, I can only imagine, like, playing against him would be. It reminds me of, like, when you go play pickup and you're in, like, your, your like, fifth game, you know, and, like, everybody's kind of gassed and, like, you're kind of just, like, lottie dying for rebounds. And then there's that one dude who's still, like, zipping around like a gnat and just, like, getting up in your space and, like, you'll be like, okay, the rebound's like in my hands. And all of a sudden this other pair of hands just like pops up from underneath you and grabs the rebound. And you're like, where did this person just come from? That's more or less Josh Hart. And he relishes those because then he takes that, you know, again, we can't talk about the defense without talking about the offense a bit, but he takes those defensive rebounds and just jets and immediately wants to start a fast break. And then it's infectious. Like that whole bench unit does the same thing now. Like he'll, he'll be out there with, you know, Obi and with uh, Emmanuel quickly. And sometimes they'll mix a match with like Quentin Grimes or RJ Barrett. And, you know, they'll be out there with Hart, and they're just like immediately looking to run, get down the floor and finish something in transition, whether it's kicking out for a three or whether it's Hart Mm -hmm. doing one of his like, you know, little like stop around the three point line, like gather himself and then drive to the hoop kind of deals. Like that's kind of become like his signature move is where, he makes the defense think that he's sleeping and that they're, you know, that everything's fine. We're resetting. And then he just is like, wait, no, actually there's nobody at the rim. So I'm just going to go there. Um, it's I, the rebounding to me could potentially be one of those things like swings yeah. this series. And I think it was a large part of what helped swing that like nine game win streak for the Knicks as well. See, that's what I was going to kind of lead with here is New York is third in the league and just total offensive rebounds. Whereas Cleveland is, uh, it, we'll just say the bottom 10 like that which is surprising for me just because they have evan mobley and Sherry Allen on the roster like that just continues to befuddle me but i agree with you like i think rebounding could really be a deciding factor in this series for cleveland or just new york in general because 
I think when you just look at these two rosters on paper, you look at the Cavs, they have three or to four bona fide superstars slash stars, depending on how you feel about Mobley and Jared Allen. But like you have two superstars in Mitchell and Garland, but then you have the Knicks, which have Brunson and Randall as like their two headlining all-stars. And then you have guys like Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, Mitchell Robinson. Um, folks may have noticed I put my hand over my heart when you mentioned Isaiah Hartenstein because I quite love the Hartenstein experience when he played with the Cavs for a hot second, just because he's such a funky player in general. But like the, the Knicks have so many young legs, and I think that rebounding edge or just the fact that like the Knicks love to play fast, especially after Josh Hart. Uh, it it might have been a thing even before Josh Hart got here, but just like Josh Hart kind of like just really wants to get out on the break and just kind of push the flow of the offense, especially when it's bench unit versus bench unit, and you have like Ricky Rubio, Karis Levert. Lamar Stevens, Jetty Osmond, Dean Wade, Danny Green, like a mix of those guys with some of the starters as well. Like that could be a way that the Knicks make the Cavs really uncomfortable. And I, I'm interested to see how Cleveland kind of responds to that because there's it's been a recurring issue for the Cavs this season where they find themselves in a hole because they aren't playing up to the pace of the opponent. They try to match the opponent shot for shot and they don't kind of rely on like what they what what got them to the fourth seed and, and to begin with, which is their defensive identity and they find themselves digging themselves out of a hole for the remainder of the game, and it's just it's just fascinating for me to see. And for those wondering at home, like I, I had to look up Josh Hart's three point percentage. It's uh fifty one point nine percent this season with the Knicks in twenty five games played, which is absolutely bonkers to me. So I don't know. This is this is going to be a fun series. I, I we were talking about at the top. Like if you ask a Knicks fan, it's going to be Knicks in four. If I think if you ask a Cavs fan, it's Cavs in four or five. I think it's a toss-up at the end of the day. Like, this is going to be a tough, gritty, grimy series, and maybe it's the rebounding edge, maybe it's the bench production. Like, what do you think, just in terms of defense for the Knicks, is going to be the biggest deciding factor for New York to win this series? I'm kind of, the more I'm thinking about it, and the more that we've been talking, I'm starting to feel like, from my perspective, I feel like Evan Mobley might be the player that swings things one way or the other. Um, cause hearing you just talk about like the rebounding, it's like, I, maybe this is me being a little, <laughs> being still too confident in the, in the, um, Mitch Robinson versus Jared Allen debate. But mm-hmm. I feel like Mitch is going to win that matchup on the glass and Randall is a really good rebounder. I think in large part due to what Mitch provides for him, um, like Randall is a really good offensive rebounder as well. Mm-hmm. He's good at anticipating, and then he's great at finishing offensive rebounds. But, like, defensively, I think he's sort of reliant on Mitch in many ways. Like, Mitch Mm -hmm. just boxes everybody out and is one of the best box-out guys in the NBA. So, like, sometimes his defensive rebound numbers don't really hop off the page, but his box-out numbers always do. Uh, And so Julius, like, benefits a lot off of that. But considering the Cavs have Mobley, who is, like, a true seven-footer, I mean, I just looked, he averaged nine boards a game this year, which is nothing to sneeze at. Oh, yeah. But, like, I feel like if he is not, like, I don't, I won't necessarily say elite, but, like, if he's not, like, an above average rebounding foreman in this series, he might get exploited by the Knicks to some degree, uh, by Julius Randle and by Josh Hart, because those are the two guys that are going to really, like, pester a four on the opposing team consistently Josh Hart is like always oh I feel like almost always taking the rebound uh, the rebound out of the hands of a foreman um that's just like his bread and butter is like just coming out of nowhere and all of a sudden he's got the ball in his hands 
and you don't know how it happened, but it just happens. Um, so like, I don't know, I guess this sort of sort of diverts from the defensive argument a little bit, because I think a lot of what is good about the rebounding for the Knicks is on the offensive end, uh, as far as Mitch and, and Josh Hart go, but defensively too, I mean, the Cavs are going to need to generate some offensive rebounds, I think, because I think the Knicks are going to put, so I didn't bring this one thing up about their defense, but there is one little wrinkle that they did try. And I felt like it was a practice run for the Cavs in many ways, which was when they faced uh, the Trailblazers and Willard late in the season, they actually tried sticking the big on the perimeter a little more. Like they actually let like Mitch stick to the perimeter on a, a pick and sort of hedge out towards Lillard a little bit to make him just uncomfortable enough mm-hmm. and then had him immediately like, <clears throat> excuse me, they had like Emmanuel quickly pop down to Nurkic for like a hot second or whoever was guarding Lillard at that time and then would very quickly execute a switch as Lillard was like contemplating, wait, what do I do now? They actually switched the big on to me. And then, you know, Mitch was quick enough to recover that if he tried to throw a pass into Nurkic real quick, Mitch did recover down and made it work. Um, So that is another thing that I kind of, if we're talking about wrinkles that the Knicks could potentially bring out, Mm -hmm. if they throw their entire season's Tibbs' life works playbook out the window and don't play exclusively drop, that might be enough to flummox the Cavs enough to win them a series potentially. Um, But yeah, I'm curious what you think as far as the Cavs, how they might attack the Knicks. So attacking the Knicks, I, I I think a lot of it has to be the Cavs just dialing back and just realizing what got them to this point, whether it's a lot of pick and roll, whether it's just getting Donovan Mitchell, a lot of looks and just certain lineups or things like that. Like the Cavs have found a lot of success, obviously with Garland and Mitchell sharing the floor together. I'm still surprised how kind of seamless this fit was from the get go for those two. But just when those two work individually as well, like they, they have opportunities to either get other teammates evolved on the offense or just find opportunities to maybe run plays for themselves or just find ways to get easy shot opportunities. And that, that note you mentioned was fascinating. Um, just in the fact that like maybe Thibs does find a way to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and just do a lot of stuff. And like, I talked with Gavin about this, maybe the Knicks even going small and playing Julius at the five sometimes too, could be something like the Knicks could just completely throw at the Cavs and just completely throw them for a loop with it. But in terms of just like offensive stuff, I want to see what they can do with Evan Mobley. Maybe they do play those smaller lineups to maybe force Mitchell Robinson to defend more in space and just kind of force him to maybe break him down a little bit more in isolation. If the, especially if the Knicks don't kind of throw out their playbook and not and just completely rely on drop coverage throughout this series. Like you have to kind of exploit the mismatches and the wrinkles here and maybe just try to get guys like Julius Randle in foul trouble and we we talked about this and sure maybe we're stealing thunder from chris and gavin a little bit but offense and defense are symbiotic with one another like i think they're just especially with just how these two op operate and function for cleveland to have success like they have to find a way to keep josh hart off the offensive glass so then maybe that's evan mobley and jared allen banging a little bit more and being a little bit more physical than they're possibly comfortable with at times and like you said, the matchup between Allen and Robinson is going to be a fascinating one because Allen is a guy who can sometimes shrink when players or opponents get a little too physical with him. And if New York kind of wins that mental field early on in this series, like that could be a deciding factor too. And 
I don't know. I, I'm I'm curious to see what these coaches bring. I, I think J.D. Bickerstaff lied to me the other day when I asked him, like, hey, is there some validity to the fact that coaches don't show their entire hands until the postseason? He's like, no, we're, we're trying stuff on the fly all the time. And I'm like, okay. But I, I these are two defensive first coaches. Uh, I think the Cavs kind of having that lack of experience from the top down, obviously besides Donovan Mitchell versus the Knicks, who have a lot of experience from the top down with Thibs, Brunson, Randall, everyone in between. Like, sure, that Hawks series is something a lot of Knicks fans want to forget, but that's experience the Cavs don't have still. And, like, that could be a deciding factor, too. Like, the Cavs could kind of get too captivated by the moment and realize, like, oh, crap, like, we're down 20 nothing in the first game. And, like, that could be the tone setter where New York feels really good about their chances in game two. And then it could be a completely different ball game as they shift focus to Madison Square Garden and play uh, play play on the road where the Cavs are not a good road team this season. Yeah, I guess I guess we'll just have to see. It's it's going to be intriguing. And, and that last thing that you threw out there might be. Might be the deciding factor, potentially, because the Knicks, oddly enough, were not the best home team at all times this year and were one of the best road teams in the NBA. So interesting interesting matchups abound interesting series is surely incoming luckily we don't have to wait too much longer no. uh before we get to experience it so evan this is great dude this was awesome yeah. and uh i was so happy to do do a crossover hopefully everybody enjoyed the two crossovers the way that we did it like a like <laughs> i was thinking about it. it's like that old tv show like wife swap or whatever like yeah, we're yeah, yeah. swapping partners here and seeing how things go uh but this is this is a lot of fun um and hopefully we've got a great series ahead of us. Yeah, I agree, man. This was this was a ton of fun. Um, I I don't want to upset my better half, but if I had to trade partners for on a permanent basis, I would not be upset if it was you, Alex. So. Oh, I feel the same way, bud. Oh, you know what? We, I, I can't believe we didn't do this. We should probably make our series prediction. What's your series prediction? So I'm going to be a little biased here. I think it's going to be the Cavs in six where they drop the first game against New York. And there's going to be a lot of public pressure and just like speculation. But the Cavs kind of find or more so Donovan Mitchell finds a way to drag the series out and they find a way to win it. What's your prediction? I'll just I'll go Homer. I'm, I'm like the Homer one on our show. So I'm going to say Nixon seven. Although I, I really think I genuinely think it's going to go at least six. But oh, I did there's a very good chance it'll go seven who ends up winning that seventh game. No way to know, but I'll, I'll go with the Homer pick and say Nixon seven. All right. So, I, all right. I respect it. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta go with your guys sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. but all right, this was great. And uh, hopefully you all enjoyed listening. And of course, if you didn't check it out already, be sure to check out the previous episode with Chris and Gavin where they talked about the inverse of what we talked about. So they talked about the Knicks offense, Cavs defense. Uh, that's the two top five uh, category, which is especially awesome. But uh, till next time, thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you guys soon. And great series coming up. Peace out, everyone.